0: Hello, welcome back to the Read Platform Podcast. It's myself, James Gerd, and I'm joined as always by my co host Paul Rogers. How are you today, sir? I'm good. How are you? Not bad, although I'm a bit upset you gloated over having more snow than me. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I'm going to throw my dolls out the pram now.
1: Well, not as much as Alistair, as we'll learn in a second.
0: Yeah, yeah, in, in, indeed. So today we are talking about how performance monitoring impacts the e-commerce bottom line. So let's just set a bit of the scene before we introduce our guest. So at, at the most like business critical times of the year, and especially under peak um, campaigns around like, things like Black Friday, digital channels need to cope with high volumes of traffic without failure and often those those high volumes come in really short um, uh, bursts of of energy where you get lots of concurrent users at the same time and it's more This is more than just about page speed we're talking now. Performance is wider than that. It's about entire customer journeys through your site and ensuring you have the highest possible customer experience at all times. And many businesses don't have the tech skills in-house to do detailed performance monitoring. So what tools to use, how to measure the journeys, what metrics to use, et cetera. Or they don't have the bandwidth because of other priorities, and which is why they often turn to external specialists to outsource this piece of work for them. So we reached out to the team at ThinkTribe, who work with a wide variety of retailers, including Bowdoin, Cinewell, Dixon's Carphone, etc. And they are specialists around performance analysis and monitoring. So we're going to discuss uh, what the impact performance monitoring has on the bottom line and what the real cost of failure to test it is. So welcome today to uh, Alistair Morrison, who's the Head of Business Development at Think Tribe. Hi, Alison. Hi, James. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic! Thanks very much for taking us. So yeah, as Paul um, alluded to earlier, I believe that
2: you're going to mock me even further with your uh, with your snow stories. Well, yeah, we got a fair bit down. We're based in Canterbury, uh, and we don't very often get snow, as you can imagine. But um, yeah, we've got about five inches in the garden today. So yeah, not bad at all. Can't complain. As a Scotsman, I'm I'm used to the snow and uh, miss it. So yeah, it was nice to see that.
0: Excellent. I'm going to have a double sulk now because that's two people with more snow to play with than me. And my kids are going to be very bored later that they can't have a snowball fight.
2: Yeah, we've got a snowman, uh, an embryonic snowman going on, but it's, um, yeah, work in progress. It's fair to say.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Um, Cool. So, uh, Paul, over to you.
1: Great. Right. So um, Alistair, why don't you start by giving us a bit of an introduction to ThinkTribe. Um, I actually knew you before as Cyvism and I didn't realize it was the same company, but maybe kind of, yeah, talk us through ThinkTribe when that rebrand happened um, and a little bit more around the services you provide.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, so we were, yeah, uh, in a previous incarnation, we were um, uh We rebranded um, about 18 months ago now to Think Tribe. Um, so in essence, we um, we work together with, um, with digital commerce companies to help make digital journeys faster and error-free um, by delivering... Uh, performance testing, performance monitoring, customer-centric, um, and, and kind of managed by experts. Um, so the, I guess I could talk you through the rebrand a bit. It was, it was a shift in focus for us because... Um, Obviously, performance monitoring, testing, it, it's quite a technical space, um, but where our real value lay and lies is around the the people and the expertise we have to deliver that. And James, you touched on that in your uh, opening gambit. It's, um, there's a lot of companies that just don't have the bandwidth or in-house expertise to understand this stuff from a customer's point of view. Um, so we rebranded to make it a bit, a bit warmer, a bit friendlier, a bit more about the people and the expertise we have in house rather than that kind of colder techie feel. Um, and Cybeism not always the easiest name to pronounce. Uh, so there was another another element to the rebranding. So yeah, that's that's really what we're about, delivering um, delivering value through the expertise and making sure these sites are are ready for peak and can deliver the revenue at the most critical times.
1: Brilliant. Um, and then could you maybe uh, give us a bit of an overview on how performance monitoring differs from performance testing?
2: Yeah, good question. So I guess in um, in simplest terms, I would see uh, testing as um, preparation. Making sure uh, everything's ready, making sure your site, your technology, your full stack is, you know, as it needs to be going into the most critical times. And monitoring uh, is is ongoing tracking and and eyes on that. Um, So I guess that's the clearest distinction between the two. Um, Yeah, readiness versus ongoing visibility
0: yeah I think that's a nice way to to, to differentiate and i'm going to get I'm going to get straight into the question that's probably on lots of people's minds those who have done it or those who are considering using uh, performance um, like monitoring solution or, or partner which is what what is the commercial context like why should e-commerce teams care? does poor performance really have an impact on conversion on the bottom line so what is what is the think tribe taken and what is your experience?
2: Um, so yeah, I mean it has a massive impact, and you know more so than ever now. And it's only going only going one direction as customer expectations and demand increase, and the whole <coughs> the generational impact uh, with um, with Gen Z and their tolerance for um, for any kind of lag on um, on the customer journey. Um, so a stat uh, that, that I read recently is that 84% of consumers will abandon their purchase if the online experience is poor. Um, that's, that's a massive number. Um, and obviously the, the impact of that is customer churn. It's lost revenue. it's But it's also on top of that, it's, it's brand damage. Um, you're seeing more and more with, you know, sites that struggle during those peaks that, you know, Twitter lights up that the major issues hit the BBC even. Um, and that, you know, that is damaging and they're, Unless your customer experience is is really front and center of your mind, and and within that, the, the performance of that, the speed, um, you know how the customer can interact and get through that user journey, um, without you know in a seamless way, then you're going to lose those um those people to, you know, to to other brands, to Amazon, to use the dirty words, um, you know that that will happen. So you you've got to be on top of it.
1: And across all of your services, what are the most common issues your team come up against when they're evaluating different e-commerce stores? Like, What are some of the underlying causes and problems?
2: I mean, it's wide-ranging, um, but I'd say a common thing we've seen, particularly uh, in the last 12 months or so, is the impact of third parties on, on the performance of the site. And those third parties could be absolutely mission-critical um, or they could be not mission critical, but still have an impact on performance. And it's amazing how many online retailers don't even know how many third parties they have on the site and what they're all doing, what they're facilitating. Um, are they are they critical? Are they important? Uh, can they be stripped out and have a, have a gain? Um, and even changes to those third parties. I've seen several instances where the, just the smallest change uh, has had an absolutely catastrophic impact on um, not just the, not just the speed of the site, but actually the capacity. Um,
1: so that's a, that's a big one. Yeah, we um, we spoke to Yotta recently, and they um, <clears throat> mentioned a very or well, they kind of talked in the same way about third parties and kind of how important it is. And I think James and I have both seen that a lot more over the last year or so. Um, yeah. On your site, you talk about mobile synthetic monitoring uh, specifically. How does this differ to non-mobile monitoring? And uh, why is it uh, so important? Uh, yeah, I think that's a really
2: good question. and. and point is I mean everyone knows how much traffic comes to e-commerce sites through through mobile now. I mean it's over 60%. Um and, and the conversion rate's on the up all the time. So everyone's focused on it. Google is focused on it in terms of how they um how they position you in the rankings, all the algorithms. So you have to you have to test and measure your site across mobile, and that's not just you know just the agent. That's about um, monitoring you know in iOS running Safari, you know a, a simulated device to see what the not just what the site uh, looks like. But also how it's performing on those specific um, browsers and devices, um, so you get a real interesting picture of of how the site executes across those different platforms. Um, and if you're not covering it, then then you really should be because it's where your customers are shopping.
0: Question I've got around um, emulators. I've seen emulators used in different guises um, by UX teams, e-commerce teams, etc. How accurate are they? Um, and and how when you're working with uh, teams, how do you ensure sort of the user journeys you evaluate are aligned with what real users are doing on the website?
2: Yeah, another great question. So there's, there's a few ways. Um, so in terms of focusing on the the realism, which is a big thing for us, uh, we always start with start with the customer. It's always about the journey and not just the journey, the the profile as well. So um, we we look at data a lot looking at historic data, uh, looking at, um, you know, analytics around peak activities and really using that to drive, not just as I say, those journeys, but what, what does the mix of those journeys look like under under peak you know so at Black Friday 2020 what was traffic doing in in lockdown in an almost digital only uh, Black Friday what were the volumes but what you know how many were browsing how many were searching how many were adding to bag how many were going through the checkout Um, how many were registered how many were new and and making sure that you're stressing the site in a realistic way that's one way the the other way going back to your question about emulators they they definitely have to Place we always run our journeys in in real browsers, um, so we will run you know Chrome on desktop or Safari on an iOS device. So you are rendering um, everything on the page as well and executing all the JavaScript and making sure that you know that this the site is being um, being stressed and, and monitored in um, in the way that customers are interacting with it.
0: Yeah, I think, that, I think that's the key thing isn't it? Is, is that emulators are very useful doing things at scale and automating, especially specific tests for whether something is functioning. But I found where they fall down is if people wanted to do that that extra level of, of user experience assessment in terms of the pixel perfect rendering and display and how things work when maybe they've added a new third party in. And that's where the, the live-in browser stuff is definitely of value.
2: Yeah, and it helps you see exactly what happened from the end customer's view so one thing we do which customers really value is we'll take an end to end video of you know each journey run for our performance monitoring what happened in the browser so they it becomes a single point of truth almost they can see well that's what that error message looked like on that journey run or or that when that page um displayed that and that swatch on that product didn't, didn't render that's what it looked like that's where it is and because uh, there's a lot of issues around recreating um, errors and issues across the site. So if you've got that there to go back to um, to do your do your regression and, and troubleshooting, it can be really powerful.
0: And um, when you're working with people and you're talking about the the emulation versus the the live browser, because obviously the more live browsers you add into the testing, that increases the, see the, the scope of work and therefore cost and effort. What do you? How do you um, guide people on what to focus on? Like how many browsers? You know. Um, should they be trying to to do proper live testing on?
2: Yeah, another good question. Because obviously there's... That that comes back to the testing versus monitoring piece as well. So, when obviously pre pre live on on UAT, they'll be doing all this cross browser, cross platform, cross OS testing. In production, where where most of our efforts are focused on on the monitoring piece, we want to cover the, the the core browser. So again, we'll work with them and look at their analytics. What are the most commonly trodden paths across your across your platform? What are the most business critical? Uh, pieces of functionality, and what are the most most used browser and devices, and then cover those, and make sure you're, you you're know, applying the 80/20 rule. Make sure you've got most of your core stuff covered in your core browsers, um, and and you know we can we can work with them. We we create very bespoke solutions for our customers. You know, working closely with them on and and, and within budget. Um, so yeah, it's just having the having the right data and having the right discussions with them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And how have you found performance monitoring uh, has evolved or has it evolved? Because modern technology stacks are are, are evolving rapidly. You know, you've got, uh, throw an acronym out there, you've know, you got single page applications, SPAs, progressive web apps, PWAs. You've got more people looking into headless, um, lots of kind of evolutions away from just a kind of like core legacy stack. So has that impacted what Think Tribe does and how you do your performance monitoring?
2: Yeah, so um, it has had an impact. Um, I think it's it's twofold. So, our, well, yeah, you're right. All these technologies do do have a change in how people are measuring performance. Um, our focus always remains on the journey. That's the that's the that's the core thing. It, it's got to be end to end. And although it's um, it's an SPA or. Or, or a, a progressive web app, they still have to transact with the site, and you've got to have eyes on that whole piece. Um, but within that, the metrics that are being measured have changed. So we've added a lot of um, browser-specific metrics on top of your your more traditional, you know, page delivery time, uh, which people still use. It's still still got its relevance. Um, you know, making sure you're tracking all your third parties and their times, and um, you know, uh, time to first byte and all those kind of things. But also now people are looking at um, time to first paint, time to interactive, time to first feel contentful, you know, those those browser-based metrics, which are all about that, you know, that customer touch point. When is the page ready? When is it usable? When does it look ready for the customer? Because that's, that's what the customer cares about. But you've also got to track all the other stuff behind it as well, because it still has an impact. Um, you know, you've got your third parties on there for a reason, usually. <laughs> um, so make sure you're able to track them and measure them over time as well. And I guess the other way that um, these new technologies have um, have changed how we uh, how we do things is is just scaling ourselves up and that expertise. We we have a very wide partner network now, um, and we work closely with SIs and you know uh, you know people like um, like Ampliance and all these people in the headless arena. Um, it 's understanding those technologies and building that knowledge across all the client interactions we have so that we can deliver the value uh, and things that we 've seen for one client will very often have you know resonate with another or, or we can unpick things quicker as, as we learn so that's uh, that 's this kind of second
1: thing that 's changed with the with the moving technologies and a um, quick question on the Pwa piece. Um, Do you or have you done anything around monitoring offline mode with PWA and is that even possible? Oh, that's
2: a great question. Um, so we have had conversations. So we we've not. It's very difficult because all of our monitoring is done, um, yeah, across across the internet. So when you lose, uh, you lose that connectivity. Then it's a challenge. Um, so monitor, you have to you have to tap into the device to be able to do that. Um, I think that is something that's that's on the roadmap for us. Um, no, that's a um, something we can maybe cover. Um, but yeah monitoring of the, the app itself and the
1: offline pieces is, is definitely a, a gap that we'd like to fill makes sense and um, most kind of teams and agencies I guess have some level of performance monitoring and benchmarking and that kind of stuff um, and you've talked a bit about this or a few of the kind of benefits of using think already but like what are kind of some of the core differentiators for you there and um, and how does your service add more value
2: yeah so I, th- I think it, it yeah, we've touched on some of it, but I think a lot of it is around the the impartiality. Uh, that's what the what's what the end clients looking for. They want that independent expertise, um, an independent pair of eyes on on their site and on their capacity. Um, but it's not. There's this argument of marking your own homework. You know, looking at uh, if they're working with their agencies to do that, or or any third parties internally that are already have a stake in the in the site. Um, so that, but that's kind of changing because we were very collaborative. So we work very closely with both the clients in house teams, but also, you know, their, their system integrator or whoever's uh, looking after the support of the site. Um, and, and that has a lot of power because ultimately everyone wants the same thing they want a fast and error free website. Um, and they want the customers to be happy and, and buying stuff and able to buy stuff. Uh, and if you come at it with that approach, that most people are starting to have that view uh, with the, the whole ecosystem being, you know, designed to, to work together um, to um, to deliver the best customer
1: experience. Great. And um and do you have any case studies or numbers around kind of the impact that you've had for clients um, and maybe a problem that you've solved or a solution you've provided?
2: Yeah. So, um, recent one we did, we do, we work with, um, with the gym group. Um, obviously they've had, um, they've had the challenges last year, um, with the pandemic hitting gyms hard, having to close, reopen, close, reopen. Um, but prior to that, ahead of last year's peak, they, um, they did some work with us, and uh, they didn't know really what the what the capacity of the site was um, coming into their peak, which was in January. You know, when they, in terms of new memberships, uh, people subscribing, people looking at the book, um, and when they when they started on the journey with us, they they found that there were some real limitations and bottlenecks that needed to be unpicked. Um, They did that. They went and and worked with their partner. Uh, We worked with their partner. Again, it was a very collaborative project. Uh, And they went away and found uh, when they had done that work and retested, they'd uh, managed to increase by 25% um, how many transactions the site could handle coming into that peak. Uh, And they had more new members subscribed than ever before on the back of that work. Um, so, it just shows you you don't know what you don't know until you until you test it in a realistic way and understand what the size of your digital estate is, what the size of your online store is. Um, unless you call out those bottlenecks, you you don't know what the site is capable of delivering.
0: Yeah, it's a, a fair point. You know, you never really do know what's hiding behind the scenes on any website. Um, so, linked to, I'm just coming back to a point you made earlier about the the offline, and obviously, you're always looking at where the products going, and um, what the next set of features you're going to roll out. What would be really interesting for our listeners is, can you just give us a bit of an insight into what's happening in the roadmap in 2021 for Think Tribe? Like, is it about ex- extending what you've currently got, or are there any exciting new features and tools coming in?
2: I think it's a bit of both. So there's um, there's a big piece of work going on at the moment in terms of uh, just a it's an internally rearchitecturing. So we we want to go API first and um, and open things up a lot more. So data is a lot more accessible and easily pullable, um, becoming just a bit more integral into. Our clients' dashboards, um, etc. Uh, so that's one piece of work. But the other interesting thing uh, that comes after that is um, is looking at apps um, and and testing apps in a in a much more realistic way. Um, there's limitations at the moment in terms of how. Um, as far as I'm aware, anyone can test apps because they have to. Um, they have to look at the API, they have to test the endpoints, um, or they'll have to uh, reverse engineer the application um, and use, you know, hack devices, etc. Um, we are looking to um, go on better and be able to monitor and test real apps, um, which is yeah quite a big piece of work, but it's um, it's the next most exciting thing on our uh, on our roadmap.
0: Fantastic. And um, is there a kind of committed time? I know this is probably a silly question because roadmaps are always moving feasts, but is it likely to be first half of the year?
2: My head of product would actually absolutely kill me if I gave you any fixed dates, uh-uh! of course. Uh, but yeah, I think the, the API piece is a big piece. That's a modular rollout. So I think um, we'll start to see fruits from that, in, You know, certainly in the first few months of the year. Uh, but the whole piece is probably a full, a full uh, 12 months of work. But the, um, the real app will will start in earnest um, alongside that as well. Um, so, yeah. I'll just, I'll
0: just reach out to your product manager and let them know that you've, you've committed to end of Q1,
2: yeah? Absolutely, yeah. you will love that. He'll <laughs> absolutely love that. Excellent.
0: And a key question I've got to ask as well is, I think for some, some businesses I've worked with in the past... The, the thought of using an external specialist for perform proper performance analysis monitoring feels too expensive, or it feels unattainable for them. They think it's like relate it's something that big organizations do. Like, what what would the entry point be in terms of pricing for for like? Because I know a lot of this is bespoke solutions. Are you able to give us an indication like of of like the the pricing?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, I can give um, I can give the listeners you know ballparks. Uh, And our clients are are very wide ranging um you know we obviously work with um, you know with the big organizations like Dixon's retail but but we work with much smaller uh, online retailers as well and and certainly in the last um, last 12 months uh, with with the shift that we've seen all these um, you know online has just become so big because of the way the world is uh, and people happen to pivot and move quickly uh, then we've got more clients of that kind of size and we we do Tailor our solutions to meet those requirements. Um, so we have clients spending anywhere from you know sort of 10k a year with us, um, up to you know obviously the, the the bigger the bigger organizations are spending a lot more. But um, you know we we certainly have solutions that can can do a good job, and we have the expertise that can deliver for for smaller organizations
1: as well. Brilliant. Yeah, I think that's um, really interesting. Um, one quick question for me, actually, before I ask the final question: um, What proportion of your just from looking at your site, you've obviously got some great brands, but what proportion of your business is ecom?
2: Yeah, I would say uh, seventy between seventy and eighty percent is probably um, is probably ecom. Um, we do. I mean, anyone who. Um, who has high, high transactions online is, um, is within our kind of target audience um, and where brand is important as well. Um, but yeah, we, we, we are kind of
1: most prevalent in the, in the e-commerce space. Okay, makes sense. And then last question. So if our listeners want to learn more about ThinkDrive, um, what's the best way to contact you?
2: Sure, yeah. Well, I, I hope they do. Um, yeah, please reach out to us. Uh, they can find us on the website, which is uh, thinktribe.com. They can find us on LinkedIn. They can follow the company. We've got our, our own company page, Think Tribe. They can connect to myself, Alistair Morrison. Um, and they can email me directly, uh, which is alistair. A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R dot Morrison at thinktribe.com.
0: Fantastic, thanks very so much. It's been a really, really uh, interesting episode. Uh, like it, lots of practical tips and advice um, and should be of interest to everyone who's listening because every site needs to understand how its performance is doing and, and do monitoring. So um, do reach out if you want to know more. But big thanks, to Alistair, um, for ThinkDrive for coming on. So thanks for sharing your
2: knowledge and advice. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been really interesting.
0: You're welcome. And thanks as always to everyone for listening. So keep your ears open for the final episode in our performance analysis series, which is coming next week with Al Whiteman from So What Analytics on web analytics implementations.